everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. Pierre Lebrun. Now, Pierre, can I say this? Can I tell people where you are? Like, you, it's, it's a summer home. <laughs> yes. I, I'm going to say it. You are looking out on, can I say the name? I don't want fans to start flocking to, to, to your lake, but you, you're, you've, you're ensconced up north now, and I, I wonder how you feel about that. Yes, I am covering the rest of the season from Muskoka, plain and simple. No question about it. Uh, certainly a lot more for the kids uh, to do up here. And uh, we're isolated in our uh, cottage. I think for Americans, you call it a cabin. But for us, we call it a cottage. And uh, yeah, it's all good. Good stuff. Well, uh, we can call it whatever you like, but... I cannot tell you how excited I am to welcome in our guest, Pierre. We've been talking about this for a long time, really, since the pause began. But joining us this morning, seven-time Emmy Award winner, member of the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame, the Foster Hewitt Memorial Award winner, which is like going in the Hockey Hall of Fame for broadcasters, a winner of the Lester Pastrick Award. And honestly, if I kept going, Doc, uh, we would never be able to chat with you. So welcome, Mike, Doc Emrick. I know you're looking out on the St. Clair River. How, how are things? How have you been, uh, how have you been uh, doing during this long, long pause? Well, I guess we, we'd have to all be well-practiced having been three lo- through three lockouts. <laughs> and my wife always marvels at how I relearn where the light switches are. <laughs> And finesse my way around the house pretty well, but I'm doing fine. And uh, once again, I'm, my thanks to Canada for a beautiful sunrise again today because I I look uh, east to get the sunrises in the morning. But no, I'm doing just wonderfully. Saddened by the daily news that we get on how things are going, but hockey wise. At least optimistic. I have 24 pieces of cardboard out here to draw lines on because I am a quasi-analog guy uh, preparing rosters. Uh, I think I'm going to have to have a lot of squares on them because we're not really sure how many guys are going to be allowed to be on the rosters, but I want to be prepared, and I have no idea what my assignment is going to be or when it's going to be, um, but um I, I do have some favorite matchups that I'd like to broadcast, but I don't know whether those are going to be my assignment because I don't determine that. So I'm looking forward to what may come if it does. And if it doesn't, then I'll just wait until next time. Now, if the NHL and the NHLPA doc are able to, to pull off this tournament um, in August, what do you think it will be like? And I'm sure everyone's asking you this, but you must be asking it for yourself. What do you think it'll be like to call a game in an empty arena? I only had one taste of that in the second year of my 47 years of doing that. We had, I was in Port Huron, about 10 miles from where I'm sitting today, representing the IHL team. And we had an owner whose team only lasted half a season in Lansing, uh, who was determined to play games on Sunday afternoons at two o'clock in the fall, going head to head with the NFL. And so in October and November and December, now it made sense in January after the NFL was largely over, but he was playing games then. Well, the turnout wasn't good. And he, uh, he had padded seats at center ice for $5 and the unpadded ones for four. And the press box was directly above the padded seats at center ice. 
And that day I was able to count the house because the turnout was so bad. It was 35 people. That's the closest I've ever come to having an empty house. I don't know what it will be like. I've sort of imagined to myself what it might be like, whether the healthy scratch players would be allowed down near the bench, whether they would badger the players on the other team, uh, what what sort of activity that there might be. I would think that if they were in the building, they would be sitting a respectable distance apart, but maybe somewhere near the bench, and they might chat it up a little bit, so there might be some noise there. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, of course, we've been hearing off and on from Steve Mayer from the NHL on what the atmosphere might be like. It is, um, I spent uh, 18 years of my 21 with the Devils uh, working for Madison Square Garden Network. Uh, Lou Lamorello was general manager of the team, and he always would say uh, not to answer hypothetical questions. At least that was his <laughs> philosophy. He, he has uh, told me that too, what? yes. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating hypothetical question. I have no idea. But it will be intriguing finding out if, in fact, we do. And I'm sure that the camera angles and maybe mic'd players, because I'm learning of what the plans are for the Belmont this week, and that they might have three jockeys mic'd, for example, uh, which, of course, has never been done before. So whenever it happens and whatever happens, I'm sure that there will be a lot of imaginative things done. Um, but... Otherwise, um, we'll just wait and see because we've gotten no instructions or no plans yet. It's so far down the road. Right. Well, you mentioned it uh, right off the top, Doc, do, doing some pre-planning and preparation for you. And I wonder how different this is as you begin to imagine whatever your assignment might be. Presume it'll be in one of the two hub cities whenever they announce that. So you'll have either the Western Conference teams or the Eastern Conference teams, I'm imagining. But does it? how do you go about preparing for the possibility that you will have 12 teams to, uh, to deal with, maybe multiple games a day, maybe games every single day? And I wonder, you know, is it like the Olympics or is it even beyond that kind of planning and preparation? Well, it's a good comparison that you that you have with the Olympics because you, you will have that many teams in residence at one time. Um, NBC has always been very sane with my schedule at the Olympics in terms of how many games in a day that I will do. It is rarely more than one. Um, and it may be back-to-back -back days that I would wind up working, uh, doing a game. Uh, it's very difficult to know how that's going to be. And again, these, these plans haven't even been uh, laid out or documented. I'm sure that there will be a lot of guys that will be assigned to work uh, once a schedule is devised. But until uh, camps open and a schedule winds up getting turned out, all I can do is just imagine what some of the series will be like. Can you imagine Chicago, Edmonton? And Patrick Kane going up against Connor McDavid. They'd never faced each other in a playoff series before. And and Mike Smith and the tremendous performance he had for Calgary. I mean, keeping them in that series against Colorado last year. And now he's now he's Edmonton's go and Corey Crawford. I mean, that there are there are exciting things to consider uh, through all of this. And of course, we always parenthetically say, as long 
as it's healthy enough for these guys to compete. It wouldn't it be something we, we would be able to count on this if we were dealing with robots. Thank God we're not. But that is the that is the only caveat through it all. We can't take chances with these guys. But as long as it is considered safe enough through the people that are determining this, that are the officials health wise, then we'll get excited about seeing them play again. But if it's not safe, then we're just going to wait indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, if we do have hockey, quite a unique setup with the qualifying round ahead of the playoffs. And you yeah, know, definition alone, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. we can't. <laughs> yeah, how do we define this? Well, we're not down to sixteen yet, so we can't say it's the playoffs. Well, now wait a minute. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Scotty and I have argued about this, but I, I, I'm wondering in the years going forward. I, I wonder. I mean, I, I have for many years uh, liked the idea of a play-in uh, between seven and ten and eight and nine on each side to get into the sixteen. Uh, it's it's something that the the commissioner has disagreed with me on quite vehemently. <laughs> he likes it the way it is. Yeah. But I wonder going forward if if the, the fans uh, react positively to the play in round. I, I wonder if it'll affect what the league does going forward. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that that anything that that all of a sudden the fans take to uh, would have to be viewed seriously by the board of governors, and as the as the men who wear stripes will often breathe to you uh, under their breath, it is those guys who officiate the games and run the game. It is not us. Uh, they, they determine what the rules are going to be, and then the enforcement is up to the guys in stripes. But it is, it is the people that, uh, that are in the boardroom who run the sport. And so the, if there is something that appeals to the fans, that's what's going to happen. And if this takes off and it becomes really that popular, then fine. Then that's what we go with. Uh, I, I'm a traditionalist to an extent in that I love and embrace the sport for what it once was. I love talking to guys like going to Philadelphia. Bill Barber stops by the booth. And at his time, a great player, when, when I was first coming into the league in 1980, he was on the line with Bobby Clark and Reggie Leach. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what Bill made. I don't know what his salary was. It wasn't published. I guess around 200000 That's what a great player made back then. And what's the league minimum now? Well, times change. 40 years <laughs> past. But... Uh, I was watching one of the Ken Burns documentaries on country music, and one of the stars of country music said, you can't put your foot in the same river twice. And if you stick your foot in the river a second time, it's not the same river. And the bottom line of all of that is that if you expect the sport to be exactly the same all the time and it never changes, and the same thing with this play-in, that it would never change. You're going to be a grumpy old man. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that I can talk to Bill Barber about what once was and that I can still be excited about the prospect of a play-in, even though as a traditionalist, maybe I think that's too many teams. Hey, this is what we have, and the, the hockey is going to be engrossing and exciting if we get there. 
Well, Doc, it's interesting that you mentioned the past because, you know, so much of what we have been dealing with during this pause is to reflect and to go back and broad, you know, whether it's been NBC or TSN or Sportsnet, a, a lot of a lot of games have been replayed from the past. And I've certainly walked by my TV screen and heard your voice uh, as comforting as it always is. Have, have you had that experience where maybe you've turned on the TV and, and there's a, an old playoff game or maybe an Olympic game, depending on who's able to replay them, but old NHL playoff games or games of import that you called. Do you stop and listen? Do you? What's that experience like for you? Well, two things. If it's one of my games, uh, I, I wind up having it on for a little while, but then I wind up critiquing myself. And so I don't stay with it that long. But I'll tell you one that was fascinating for me. Um, it was a black and white game that I saw on the NHL Network early in our pause. And it was Toronto and Montreal. And it was, I believe, uh, I believe it was the clinching game for the Leafs in 67. And gee, what a fascinating, uh, to watch the game go back and forth. And not just the call, but also just to watch the passing of the puck. And then there was another one that was one of the, one of the great Montreal Canadiens teams that was going to roll its way through and win another Stanley Cup. And even though it was grainy and, and all of that, it was fascinating to watch and to see the forechecking style and, and some of that, too. But um, that it, the, the thing that I always remind myself, too, is that as much as I love the past and I want to in our NBC telecast, they they give me um, 10 seconds per team um, that I'm allowed to go dig back some footage of one player from each team from way back in the past and just show and pay tribute to a player from, uh, well, uh, once in uh, a New York at Philadelphia game, I think we had Reggie Leach and Cesar Maniago, and we were able to find some black and white footage from Madison Square Garden when Cesar was playing for the Rangers, the old, the third Madison Square Garden, not the fourth one. And that is done primarily to uh, for for the people that I see in arenas that are that are 40 years old and younger, and that's a large percentage of the people I see in arenas, that I just want a 10 second for each team reminder of who once played, and just so their names are familiar, and a reminder to me that the rest of the night is devoted to celebrating the current players for those people that are older than 40 and for those people that are younger than 40, that are the fans that are going to continue to be fans for decades ahead. Well, I mean, I want to, I know that you hate this question, Doc, but I want to ask you this. Your favorite. Oh, this will be good. Yeah. No, uh, but it I, has I, something I, to do with the Pittsburgh Pirates, I'll bet. No, well, I was going to ask you eventually, because uh, I know you're a deep-rooted baseball fan. No, and, they're, and just, you're, they're yeah, just yeah, awful. I know, well. <laughs> I was going to ask you the state of baseball too, but uh, yeah, which, is, no. which is something else. But no, your your favorite call ever is it? Is, is that an unfair question to ask? Is there one call that you you just put atop any other? No, I, I let uh, I let people decide if they if they care that much about the, the moment and they remember something that I said. Gee, that's uh, that's very flattering to me. Uh, one of the 
one of the questions I also get is, is there one call I'd like to have back? Mm-hmm. And it's probably uh, the same one that others that were working that night would like to have back, but I've never asked them about it. And that was Patrick Kane's goal in Philadelphia right. that won the Stanley Cup. You never want to muff a Stanley Cup clinching goal, especially an overtime goal. And I got the S and the C out of my mouth before I pulled back. Why I did that, I don't know. But I, I didn't want to mess up an overtime goal, but I wasn't sure. And um, I was watching the referee and and we're sort of taught through the evolution of years to watch the players heads if we don't know where the puck is. Mm -hmm. And I watched the players heads and they were inconclusive. And uh, so I was all over the place. And then eventually Patrick tore to the other end, throwing his equipment in the air. And um, and so we we had the same thing. And then, of course, of all things, the the shock of having the public address announcer saying the play is under review when by then we knew that it was in the net. So I didn't handle that one very well. If I could have that back, I'd like to. It's interesting. I saw Patrick not after the game, but the next fall. We had a Devils game in Chicago on um, on Halloween Day. And after the morning skate and everybody had peeled away from his dressing stall, I sat next to him and I said, okay, what did you see? He said, well, I let the shot go from near the left circle and uh, right away I didn't see it. I saw it disappear, but I didn't know whether he had it or where it was. And then I, as I got closer to the net, I saw it was in the back of the net. And I glanced at the referee and he's not doing anything. And I realized my obligation at that point was to sell it. So I headed to the other end of the ice selling along the way. Jonathan Taves told me later he was at the bench and he didn't know whether to come onto the ice because they were worried about getting a too many men on the ice penalty. (laughs) It was just an absolute circus. So that's one I'd like to have back. But if there are some memorable calls that help people enjoy the moment more, I'm flattered that they did, but I don't have a favorite really. Well, let me before we let you go, Doc. I, I'm curious if, if we went back and you you referenced it off the top, but you you started in the business and in, in calling games for the Port Huron Flags, the old International Hockey League, just down the road from where you are now. And I I wonder if you if you think back to the the first game, and I think it was a radio call, um, the first game that you called, and what that experience was like, and whether you could have ever imagined that all these years later and all these accolades and experiences later that this would have been your life or if you ever think about that very first moment that set you on this path no i i i greatly appreciate it that's for sure because it's been 47 years but um the toledo sports arena was a was a dingy place and sometimes (laughs) the ice got four to five inches thick terry slater who was a wonderful coach in in professional as well as college hockey at Colgate uh, once was uh, I was interviewing him once not that year uh, but he he sarcastically applauded the Zamboni driver coming by and he said you know that ice is about five inches thick right now and I just thought oh my goodness anyway the place was kind of run down but that was the site and and Toledo the glass capital of North America still had the plastic coated wire above the boards i remember that and they they had 10 cent beer nights where you could buy a whole tray and throw them through the wire on the players i mean it was was crazy but anyway uh we 
uh, because I, I could be partial in a one-team town. We won six to five on a left circle shot by a guy named Dale Dalmage who, who couldn't see too well, but he had contact lenses. Bob McCammon was our coach uh, in Port Huron, who later went on to NHL glory, and, and Skippy Birchall, um, whose name may be familiar in Canada, I don't know, uh, was the coach of the uh, Toledo Hornets. So that that was the first game, and uh, it's it's uh, it's a great memory for me because you always remember the first one, and um, and I've just been lucky to get in free ever since. Well, well, well Doc, you, you've pretty much done it all in your incredible career, but you have you haven't done this called an October Stanley Cup final. So there you go. You got that to look forward to. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I'll look forward to uh, not only that, but chatting with you guys, uh, hopefully in person somewhere along the way before it all gets done. Yeah, that's the truth. Well, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us today, Doc. It's been a treat, and uh, I'm with you. I look forward to being at a safe social distance but being in the same place, which would be an NHL arena sooner than later. So okay, take care and great. stay healthy. Yes, thank you thank so much. Thank you so much. Be good. Thanks, Doc. Bye-bye. Uh, Pierre, that was tr- that was tremendous, and and uh, I'm going to tell you my personal favorite doc story. I didn't want to embarrass him by telling him when we were actually chatting, but uh, we're going to take a break and don't go away because when we come back, I'm going to tell you as a story. As you know, most of them involve me, and this one does too. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Even in these most uncertain of times, it's good to smell good. It's really important, and Hawthorne smells really good. Also. Getting Hawthorne cologne is so easy. Just think, Father's Day is coming up. Maybe you haven't got anything for your dad yet. You should be thinking about Hawthorne. The quiz is easy, and you can take it for someone else, too. So, take a quick two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne tells you the two colognes that are best for you or your special someone. One for work and one for play. Totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. Pierre, uh, that's it's just so much fun to talk to a guy like Doc, whose you know whose passion for the game is so evident, and who's it's not it's just his appreciation for the game. I think is infectious, and I think that's why he's so. You know, my son is an absolute fan of his, loves to listen to his call, and it's just it 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 is amazing to think about all the things that he's seen and, and the words he's used to describe the game for almost five decades. Yeah, and I think you touch on something there that that I think if you don't have that passion or that, you know, that, you know, he, he's, he made an interesting point. He obviously uh, has a soft spot in his heart for the way the game was and some of the players from yesteryear and yet is still excited to call the game today and to see today's players. And I think that's important because I think ultimately, I don't know how it couldn't affect you as a play-by-play person if you didn't still love what you were doing and love the game. And I think that comes across with Doc, no question. 
Now, have I ever told you the story? Uh, it was during the 2018 playoffs, Eastern Conference Final. Mm-hmm. We're in Tampa. Did I tell you the story? So I'll tell it because I'm already <laughs> halfway down the path. <laughs> so <laughs> it's the end of game, I want to say game one uh, of the East Final. Washington is well ahead. Almost all the fans have left Amelie Arena. Uh you know how, how difficult it is to get down from the press box in Tampa down to the workroom. So mm-hmm. with about five or, five or six minutes left in the, the game, there was a, a whole gaggle of us getting on that elevator and heading downstairs. And by the time we get downstairs, one, some, one of our colleagues downstairs said, hey, Doc just wished you a happy birthday. And I'm like, yeah, that is that absolutely did not happen. <laughs> uh, but it, it did happen, and I give Doc all kinds of credit because there was very little left to say at that point in the game. And he had gone through, I think, P.K. Subban's birthday is the same day and other people. And finally, I can only assume as an absolute last resource to fill in 10 or 12 seconds, he mentioned my name on the broadcast and my birthday. And I can tell you, when I told my family, complete disbelief felt that I had completely made it up. So it took us took us a while to get a uh, an actual rebroadcast so we could actually hear that part. But that's 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 my brush with fame, thanks to Doc. So can can, can you ma- can you imagine how many notes? And he has all those notes, right? How many notes he burned through before he got to the Burnside birthday? I mean. <laughs> I mean that would, that would, that would. <laughs> oh I'm telling goodness. you, it was a very tiny scrap of paper, and it was at the very bottom of his pile. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> but but, but all right. in all in all in all seriousness, in all seriousness, though, it, it will be it'll be a lot of pressure on Doc, uh, you know, and you know, on on the Sportsnet guys. That play by play is going to become. It's already huge, but it's going to become the whole engine to this thing without fans in the building, right? I mean, you're really yeah. – you're going to need – unless people like listening to silence, I mean, you're going to have to find ways to fill the void. So it will be interesting to see how the networks figure that out. Well, and the other thing is, you know, we – and I know that the Return to Play committee – or the national broadcasters or, you know, whatever, because a lot of this will have to do with the scheduling, right? Like I still, I talk to uh, uh, someone who's involved in the broadcast um, industry in the NHL. I still can't get my head around how the schedule would work, how you're going to run the playoff, the play-in games, the round robin. We talk about three games a day, so I can't get my head around it, but... Uh, you know, to to call a game, it requires a, a tremendous amount of research and energy, and you can't just be grinding these guys down. Like, I, you know, I don't know what they're going to ask Doc to do, but even doing games back-to-back, there there is a taxing element to it, and whether it's Jim Houston or Chris Cuthbert or any of those people, uh, Kenny Albert, it is, I think your point is excellent, because this is going to be a critical it's a television event, and so these all these broadcasters will want to be at the tops of their games, but they're also going to be grinding it out in a way that they've never had to before in terms of the schedule. Do you, and do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think it is. And and I mean, listen, personally, I, I'd love to hear. I'd love to have all the players mic'd up and to, and to hear their interactions on the ice uh, in the heat of the moment. I know that that's <laughs> that might come with a lot of beeping, but I think it would be interesting for from the point of view of, of hearing how teammates communicate with each other 
in real time and whether there's anything to learn from that. I mean, we think we know, obviously, because we've covered hockey for a long time, but you, you only hear certain things traditionally. And, and I think this is an opportunity maybe for uh, the league to expose, um, you know, to introduce another part of the game that we don't usually get because of the noise of the, of the arena normally. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about all that. I know you're a big uh, old school movie guy. You might have to use your earmuffs. What are they called? Is that what they say in that movie? Earmuffs, <laughs> handmuffs, whatever. In old school, you yeah. Three, yeah, you, you got three kids. Too. You might be. You might have to, you know, bring someone in to help uh, blot out the the, the f bombs or whatever. Well, well, um, see, uh, see, what, what I would do is is I would introduce one of the feeds where you don't beep it and say, please exactly. don't have your children watch this feed. <laughs> But if you are an adult, we're going to show you this without beeping it. I mean, I think that'd be fun. Yeah. No, no. And uh, listen, honestly, uh, when you go back to, you know, the HBO original Road to the Winter Classic and the very first, I think it might have been leading up to the 2011 Winter Classic between Washington and Pittsburgh. But to Mm -hmm. me, that was what made that such a compelling uh, uh, viewing experience was that it really did open a door onto a part of the game, you know, to your point that you don't, you know, even sitting up in the press box, you don't, you don't, you don't have that feel of it. And the interplay with the referees and the linesmen and the coaches. And if I'm with you, if you could have a dedicated adult only feed, I would be watching that nonstop. It would never leave my couch. Well, and, and that's why it was great that it was on HBO because that means they didn't have to beep out Bruce Boudreaux in that, and, and which is a good thing because if you had to beep yes. him out, there wouldn't be any words coming out. <laughs> it is true. Uh, okay, listen, we have, we have some hockey stuff to talk about, um, and so we're going to take a break and come back, and we're going to uh, we're going to talk about some hockey stuff. So I'm I, I'm pumped as I always am, but uh, it's been fun, and uh, we're not done yet. So hang in, we'll be right back. If you were to guess on average how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities, basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free, unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com Advantage for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Advantage for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Uh, you know what? You, do, you don't sound too grumpy to me right now, Pierre, but I do know when you filed your piece about the, and I think it's fair to say, the shocking dismissal of Buffalo Sabres GM Jason Botterill and, what, virtually the entire front office staff mm-hmm. and uh, AHL coaching staff and scouts, uh, it, it was... It was a really a, a, a shocking day 
uh, in Buffalo and surrounding that franchise. And and I know you felt uh, you felt very strongly about it uh, in writing your column for the Athletic. And uh, I just wonder what you you know what's ahead for this team. This is a team the longest playoff drought in the NHL. Um, it's it's been a very ugly time in Buffalo, and yesterday might have been a low point. Yeah, and listen, the point uh, that I made in my column, and, and I feel strongly about it, is that if you keep firing and hiring GMs every three years, you're never going to know what you got. Like, it, three years is not enough time to fully establish your stamp on an organization. I, I really believe that, and I, I know that other people around the league believe the same thing. And that's not, I'm not absolving Jason Botterill of some of the mistakes that he made. I mean, obviously, he would want the Ryan O'Reilly trade back. He would probably want the Jeff Skinner contract back. So he, he made mistakes. But in terms of building an organization from the bottom up and, and seeing the fruits of some of your draft picks and seeing the fruits of your uh, development practices and philosophies and your culture, three years is just not enough time, in my opinion. And you know, Tim Murray, I don't think, was given enough time. He only lasted three years. I mean, how do you know that what what else you could have gotten out of Tim Murray if you gave him five years? And so I I just felt I had to make that point because, hey, it may be that in two years, you know what, this whole bottle roll thing's not working. So be it. But at least you would know. And, and you know, I, I, I'm reminded of the Blues winning last year. I, I mean... Good thing they didn't fire Doug Armstrong after three years. Now, granted, I know that they had good teams and they were contending, but I'm saying you need patience um, as an owner. And, you know, I, I referenced this in my column, but, you know, it took six years for D. Lombardi's vision to, 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 you know, bear out in L.A. And, in fact, had they not made the playoffs that year in 2011-2012, I think there's a chance he would have got fired. Um, they end up winning the cup, but along the way, there was people that absolutely second guessed his plan and his vision, but he ends up winning. Now, do I think Jason Botterill after six years would deliver a cup in Buffalo? I have no idea. And certainly this year, you didn't see a lot of evidence that it was around the corner. I get that. And so some of the criticisms of, of Botterill's regime are, are legitimate, but I'm just saying you need more time to know. And, and I think you know, it, it, if you keep going down this road, uh, you're never you're never going to change your organization. And so, you know, I hope Kevin Adams gets at least five years, I guess, is what I'm saying. Well, and that, yeah, I mean, you mentioned, listen, <clears throat> I, I think Kevin Adams, I think the world of Kevin Adams, I, you know, have covered him as a player, um, you know, have uh, you know, had chance to go and have coffee at times when I'm in Buffalo and terrific such an guy. interesting, yeah. terrific guy, really, yeah. really smart. But I mean, this is now and to your point, you know, three years in you, you Jason Botterill had been in the Pittsburgh organization when he got his first full-time NHL gig with the Sabres. Three years later, he's gone. Um, you know, Kevin Adams has, he knows the Buffalo market he knows that team very well but this is a this is a brand new experience for him managing at the nhl level uh so now you know so now you have a second straight gm who's in his first role there the ownership seems determined not to have a president of hockey ops a la a 
Brendan Shanahan or uh, John Davidson or someone with a, a true hockey background to come in to help Kevin Adams and whoever he brings in, Ralph Kruger, who will be in his second year as the head coach in Buffalo, and I expect will have a, a pretty um, strong voice in in the direction of this team. But it, it just seems that this, you know, that it that the odds are again stacked against short term success. And yeah. you're right if they aren't prepared for more pain in that in that franchise while well, Kevin Adams gets to to understand this role, then. It's it could literally be years before this team goes to the playoffs, let alone contends for a Stanley Cup. Yeah, and, and on top of everything else, there was such a front office shakeup. You know, Randy Sexton was among those let go as well, the veteran assistant GM who who ran the, the Amherst. And I mean, the, there's a person that could have at least helped Kevin Adams along. And I, I get why he was fired. He's a Jason Botterill hire, so you kind of have to. But my point is. You really need someone like Sexton there, I think, to help Kevin Adams. Like, uh, so I, I hope they go out and and hire some with someone with experience. Um, I, I, listen, I, I hope it works out for Kevin Adams. Like, I, I'm with you. I, I always thought, actually, when I covered him as a player, he would end up either a head coach or a GM. He had that kind of brain. But let's also call it for what it is. I, I don't know that that he has any qualifications to be an NHL GM right now. And, and I'm, I'm just, I have to say that because it's the truth. And uh, I know that he's been in and around the organization in different roles since 2009. I know that Pagula has really trust him. I know he's a really smart guy, but I don't know that he has on his resume um, the kind of experience that sets you up to be an NHL GM, just to be fair. Well, and it's, uh, you know what, I feel bad. I, I feel bad for Buffalo fans who, it's a terrific market. It, mm. it, it It's a market that deserves more than they have received under this ownership. And uh, this year, you know, long before this, this was a, a fan base that was more or less an open revolt. And, and I think that's, I think that's unfortunate because it is, it's such a great hockey town. They care so deeply about that team. They care about their football team too. But this is it's a great hockey town and they have been underserved by these owners and 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 then that that, that is that dynamic continues to this very day and uh, it, it's it's unfortunate. It's a, it's a it's a real black mark I think on the NHL landscape right now and I think it's unfortunate. Yeah, no, well said. And it's such an important market, too. If you look at the TV ratings every year, and even yes. with the Sabres always out of it, they're always up there. And um, it's just an awesome sports town with the Bills and the Sabres. It, it sounds soapy saying what you just said, but it's so true. The fans deserve better in Buffalo, period. Yep, true. Um, so uh, just before we close out this edition of uh, Two Man Advantage, uh, I'm curious... You had a, a terrific piece on uh, the Frank J. Selke uh, Award to, for the NHL's best two-way, well, best defensive forward. Well, really yeah, well, that's interesting forward. that you described it it's that a, way, right? I know. It's a, it's a two-way. <laughs> it's a, it, it is a defensive forward, but it's become a two-way forward award. And also a, a look at the uh, rookie uh, a, a balloting. Um, looks like. Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr will be one, two, and I think will be a fascinating to see how the votes came out. You and I both had our ballots in by Monday afternoon. What what was was there one 
award or one thing that gave you pause, like without giving away your mm. ballot, which we're not supposed to do, was there one thing that you were like, you know what, this was, I didn't think that this would be that hard or I didn't know my ballot would look like this? Yeah, no, I, I think it gets harder every year. I, I think as the league grows and, and I, I just think there's more talent in the league than ever. And, and I think the parity is reflected in the parity among the stars in some ways. And I think it gets harder and harder to to figure out these awards. Um, I, certainly for the Hart Trophy, I found that I had six guys that I really felt strong and deserved to be on my ballot, but I could only pick five. And I don't mind naming all six because I just won't tell you which one didn't make the cut, but in no particular order, you know, Connor Hellebuck, Leon Dreisaitl, Nathan McKinnon, Artemi Panarin, David Pasternak, and Connor McDavid. Those, those are the six guys that I feel all deserve to be on the heart ballot, but you can only pick five. Um, and, you know, you got all kinds of different arguments there. But um, and, and so, well, you know, the, the Panarin push came late in terms of, of his heart uh, validation, and I think it's really there. Uh, I think Dreisaitl carrying the Oilers when McDavid was hurt is huge. I mean, I, I suspect he will win. You know, Nathan McKinnon, for some reason, has kind of lost a bit of momentum. It would It's anecdotal, but I'm just looking at social media. You don't hear him as much. He finished 43 points ahead of the next person in scoring on the avalanche. <laughs> like, so, so there's a lot of wonderful cases. And, of course, what do you do with McDavid? Like, you know, is he still in your ballot if you voted dry saddle? Is he not? And and again, I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer. Uh, I think it's all very compelling. Yeah, and I'll tell you that uh, it. I wrestled with that. I went back and forth, and the, and the whole. Okay, yes, I, I know we, we joked about it with Doc, but okay, so the Rangers aren't in the playoffs, but they're still playing, right? And they they are nowhere near s- still having a shot at a Stanley Cup without Artemi Panarin. And I, I loved your piece about the Selkie where you talked to, I believe it was a GM, who said he thought about putting, he would have thought. It was a coach, actually. I, had, I pulled, coach. I pulled yeah. the, the, the head coaches around the league, and he thought about yeah. giving his vote to me on Panarin for the Selkie, and then he changed his mind because he realized Panarin didn't kill any penalties. But his point was that at even strength, his numbers are crazy in terms of uh, the fact that he has the puck, that his team expected goals, uh, takeaways, you know, all these great even strength stats for Panarin. Why not give him the Selkie? Except that, again, you can't do that if you don't kill penalties. So so he changed his mind and and he voted Sean Couturier. But, yeah, it is interesting. And, 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 again, I think Panarin's will have ended up getting more votes for the heart, I think, because the Rangers got invited back to the tournament. You know, this had been a normal year where the Rangers are out. And I know some fans on Twitter, I raised this point on Twitter a couple weeks ago, that the whole 2014 thing might impact the... And, you know, I had some fans respond, well, it's, you know, you should never let the playoffs creep into your thinking anyway. Well, it does. I'm sorry. It it affects my thinking because part of being great is is making your team great. And your team can't be great if it's missing the playoffs, plain and simple. With you. Yeah, no, I'm with you, and and uh, yeah, it's uh, it is absolutely fascinating, and uh, it, it's going to be fun whenever the, uh, the the ballots are tallied. I know that uh, a lot of work goes into it. It's uh, do you find it stressful? I must admit, I, my anxiety level w- went up. I I filled my ballot in on Sunday so I wouldn't forget, and but it is because you want. It's an important. It's a really important 
honor. It's an important part of being a hockey writer. Um, and you don't want to be flippant or you want to you want to give it it's it's due and i wonder do you, you know you've been doing it a long time um do, do you get nervous when you sit down to do it i don't get nervous but i certainly to your point I, I i make sure i talk to a lot of people around the league i mean that was the whole point of the selkie thing pulling all all, yeah. all 30 head coaches uh well 31 but, only, but one guy didn't get back to me um and because i want to hear different people's opinions and then i like reading, uh, you know, our stuff, you know, the stuff from Dom and, 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 the, you know, yep. the more, st- a more stats driven angle. And I like to combine all those things before, before I make my decision. And at the end of the day, you know, there is room for disagreement. And, and I think, you know, we live in this world where there's so many people that if you don't vote for their player, they lose their minds. I, I think people just need to chill <laughs> out a bit on that. <laughs> Uh, I think you could say that about a lot of segments of society. I think that that would be, uh, or certainly on social media, that that would be a good that would be a good uh, a good thing to keep in mind. All right, I'll give you. You got anything else? You got you want to talk hub cities? You want to just go? Well, yeah. I mean, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I think we should know within the next. Uh, you know, I think within the next seven days, I think we'll know the hub cities potentially, unless. Yeah negotiations break down between the PA and the league. Um, and I think it was, I, I don't know that the league had to involve the PA in, in terms of picking the two cities, but I think it was wise that they decided to go that route. Yes. So they had a big meeting last Friday and continues to be back and forth because at the end of the day, you know, the players have to vote on phase three and phase four, uh, or at least the executive board of the NHL PA, the 31 player reps, by having them involved in the process of picking the two cities, you're going to augment your chances of getting a yes vote. Let's be fair, right? I mean, that's the whole point here. Yeah, so, sure. you know, we think Vegas is a lock, although no one's confirmed that. Um, you know, uh, Canadian government delivered some important news this week that uh, they're going to leave it up to the provinces for those hub cities to figure out the quarantine, which means basically the 14-day quarantine is, is uh, has been... You know, there's been, you know, I don't want to say wiped away, but I think what's going to happen is if it's a Canadian hub city that you'll be able to work that into your bubble. So that's huge news for the three Canadian cities that want to be a hub city. As I've reported, I think Chicago is driving hard with their case. So some interesting decisions are coming up, but I think we should know within the next seven days. Well, I hope we know by next Wednesday so we can tackle that on the uh, next edition of uh, of Two Man Advantage, my friend. Right on, right on. Right on. All right. Now, before we go, uh, you should also check out uh, some of the other athletic podcasts. Uh, for instance, Chris Snow, the assistant general manager of the Calgary Flames, uh, very important and uh, inspiring, I think, battle with ALS that he and his family mm-hmm. have been uh, using to to really focus a light on research and uh, all those kinds of things. He's uh, Chris will join Craig Custance on the full sixty this week at the Athletic, and Bill Maurice, the chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at the Mayo Clinic. I did not memorize that, by the way. I just read that. And who is the president of the Mayo Medical Laboratories joins Michael Russo 
on Straight from the Source at The Athletic. I believe Mike asks him why he feels it would be important for the media to be involved in the hub cities in covering the uh, um, round-robin play-in and then the playoffs, and I support that as well. And I'm sure you do. See how that turns out? Yes, I do, uh, because I'm pretty sure that Decatur is not going to be a hub. So... Um, and also, you should uh, you should check out the comments section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app, and don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com/slash Two Man Advantage, you'll get forty percent off your subscription. And Pierre, I hope you have a grand day. Fine work by you as always, and uh, look forward to doing it again next week. Sounds great, my friend. Awesome.